lot of people have strong principles when it comes to debt in general and taking on debt, um, but those principles don't seem to apply when it comes to mortgage because it's just generally accepted that in order to get a house, you'll have to get a mortgage. Um, but how wise is it really to take on a mortgage? Are you putting yourself at risk with a mortgage and is it worth the risk? In this episode, my dad and I get into how mortgages work, what level of risk is involved, and whether they're worth the risk. Welcome to Work is Good, a CSM podcast. My name is Landon Buto, and I host the show with my dad, Chris Buto, the owner and president at CSM. Please enjoy this week's conversation, and remember that if you're interested in getting a mortgage, or if you know someone who might be, check us out at clevelandstreet.com. You know, Dave, Dave Ramsey is, is, is addressing a condition that's real that a lot of people need addressed, mm. you know, that you know, excessive debt and, and cause major, major financial problems yeah. in their lives. And those problems snowball into many other directions, mm-hmm. you know, failed marriages, you know, horrible situation. I mean, we don't have debtor's prison anymore, but, you know, people can end up uh, worse off than in debtor's prison, you know, with just their lives falling apart. So, so I, so I, you know, not for a minute would would say that that warning isn't needed. Yeah. Um. And and some of his corrective, you know, has been necessary reaction to you know to to a real problem. And I fully agree with that. But I do agree with you that that you know he, he takes it. You know, it, 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 I, I often say you know people, a lot of times you know we careen instead of correct. Hmm. You know, instead of correcting a problem, we just careen into the other side of the, you know the road, the ditch, and the other side of the road. And I think that's. Maybe a little bit about you know where where Ramsey goes a little bit too far when he just starts to to suggest that you know, zero you know, zero mortgage or if you have a mortgage you know fifteen years twenty five percent of your take home you know those kind of things I think those are a little bit extreme mm-hmm. and 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 just unworkable for most people and 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 not not unworkable in the sense that you that you can't physically live. You know, in, in, uh, under those parameters, but but for the vast majority of people, based upon actual data, house values, average median income, those people will never own a home, um, and and so you know that to me is where it becomes extreme and 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 I think um, imprudent for that to be universal. It's fine for any individual to say, look, I, I'm just not comfortable with any risk. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and the reality is nobody lives in a no-risk yeah. world. You know, it's just frankly not that way. The, the, you know, we, we live in a fallen world and risk is everywhere. So yeah. you can't get out. But, but they may say this, this particular as, risk. Yeah. Maybe they grew up when, you know, in 2007, 2008, they were old enough to, you know, to see... What happened in the crash there, and and maybe they saw their parents go through you know some extreme situation yeah. where they lost their houses. They saw the grief associated with that. Um, so, so all of that's real. Yeah. Um, but when you, you know, when you take it and apply it universally, then it, then I think it becomes a a, a very a crippling philosophy to live by, and 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 not. Yeah, not one I think that that most people will will really thrive under. So, so debt itself, you know, we have you know, which which you came up with, which I love. You know that 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 sort of tagline, "Thank God for mortgages." You know, I I love that um, because mortgages are probably the greatest wealth creator in the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, bar none. I mean, it's you know, because 
because you know you have the exceptional individuals like Elon Musk or you know Jeff Bezos who can make billions and trillions of dollars and become wealthy that way, but they're the extreme rare individual. Mm -hmm. And then you have 300 million or more people in the United States, and the vast majority of us can buy a house with a mortgage. And owning a house, you know, owning real estate is the single most indicator of your wealth creation as an average individual, mm. you know, in the United States, probably anywhere in the world. You know, it's ownership of real estate. And, and you know, we looked at a, at a graph of that when we spoke at, you know, the U UW soccer team. And, and we just looked at that, that, you know, the, the, the wealth creation for people who don't own re real estate over decades-long periods was a complete flat line, very low near the x-axis. You know, it just never rose above that x-axis. If you rent, you know, all the time, mm -hmm. that's you know, that's that's where, and that's just statistics. That's not a value judgment. That's sure. just statistics. You know, whereas those who own real estate go like this. Yeah. You know, and uh, so if there's so, something that can get you there, yeah. Then and, and, and so it's definitely worth considering. Yeah, and, and with mortgage debt in particular, several things. You know, the United States is unique in that it tax favors mortgage debt. It, you know, the United States is unique. You know, you talk about the American dream, and a lot of people think, oh yeah, it's the American dream to own a house. And that's true. That's a very truncated version of of what the American dream. You know, why that became known as the American dream. Because everybody kind of prior to that lives in some sort of quasi-feudal system where you were very much tied to the people who owned the land that mm -hmm. you lived upon. So your whole life was dictated by those people. And, and the idea of home ownership being made available widely was, was really uniquely American. And, the, and, and it's not just the financial wealth that goes around, the freedom that goes along with owning your own, own real estate. And, and one of the ways that, they, you know, that over the years we've seen that commitment to home ownership that's embedded in American culture, in tax code, in, in different mortgage policies and programs that were enacted to give people access to home ownership. And, and it's been a vastly big success. You know, you can look over decades and decades and decades and, and you just see real estate go like that. Now you had that little blip, right? You know, you had that blip in 2007 to 2010, say, and that was very painful for a number of people. So not meaning to minimize that. Yeah. But the other thing to keep in mind is it's not, you know, it's not just that everyone who owned real estate during that blip really suffered. I owned this house during that, during mm -hmm. that blip. By the grace of God, I was able to make my mortgage payment. The value went way down and you know, I could have been underwater. Who knows? Mm -hmm. you know? But I didn't pay attention to that because I, I was still living here. I was yeah. still making my mortgage payment and it recovered Enormously, right? Yeah. So the only Since people, then, the only people that really hurt were if you had to sell during that time, yeah, for whatever reason. Well, and and not just if you had to sell. I mean, that's you know, this gets kind of way beyond the scope of this. But yeah. there were a lot of people who strategically defaulted, right? And those were people yeah. who could make their payments, like me, and they just said, "Look, my house is upside down. You know, it's worth less than the bank." Um, I owe the bank right. on it, so I'm just going to walk away from it and let the bank deal with it. Yeah. And, and so, so, but yes, those people who were forced, you know, their jobs were impacted. There were, you know, there were a lot of people like that. Their jobs were impacted and they had to walk away from it. They just couldn't physically make the payment. And that yeah. was, that's a painful time. Yeah. So back to the original point, though, the, you know, low interest rates, you, you have a low interest rate and, it, and it's tax deductible. 
for 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 most people, this mortgage interest deduction, you know, interest rate is tax. Can you deductible. quantify that? Like, you know, in my mind, I've always worked, and taxes are small numbers for me. So, mm-hmm. what 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 could that look like for an average, you know, Seattle area average homeowner is five hundred thousand dollars, average first time home buyer, something like that. You know, average homeowners. I don't know what is that nine hundred thousand dollars. Let's just say right now. I mean. Times, let's say 0. 0.065 is $32,000. So let's say you have $32,000 a year in interest. Okay. Um, and then you have $4,000 on top of that in real estate taxes. That becomes deductible. So now you're up to $36,000, $37,000 of deductions. Now, people, you know, this, you know, we don't need to get too much in the weeds. People, but I do want to acknowledge people have a standard deduction that's pretty substantial. Yeah. But if you're doing charitable contributions, you're doing other things on top of that, that, that right now you don't really get to use because they're below the standard. Then you start adding $40,000 worth of, mm. of housing related costs to that. Now, you know, now you've, you've got a very substantial tax deduction mm. that lowers your tax, you know, that lowers your taxable income by, Thirty thousand yeah. dollars, and if you're in the marginal tax rate of twenty percent, that's six grand. You know, so yeah. it's you know, so it's 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 tax deductible. Typically, there are lower interest rates on because they're secured. Mortgages are secured by real property. It's different than a credit card when you're you know, buying shoes on your credit card. Then that's not secured by anything. Right. That's just your promise to repay. They have a much higher default rate. The interest rates are a lot higher. They're variable. These are typically fixed. Um, it's levered investing. You know, with a, with a mortgage, you are investing in an asset, but you're only putting a small percent down on a much larger asset. So, you know, in, in, with housing, you can put 20% down, you can put 3% down. You know, you, if you're a VA, if you're a veteran, you can put 0% down. Now, I'm not necessarily advocating for any of those, and those, the lower you put down, the yeah. more risk you have. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a levered investment. Most of us, uh, you know, just normal individuals, average individuals, don't have access to levered investing, where you're investing 50000 in a $500,000 asset. And so, you know, you've only invested 50000 If that $500,000 asset grows by 5% every year, which mm-hmm. is pretty historically average, you know, 4 to 4 to 4.5% average over the last four or five decades real estate, mm-hmm. and as as investment advisors are always, you know, kind of have to disclaim past performance is no guarantee yeah. of future yeah. uh, results. And that's true with real estate as with anything, but historically it's four to five percent with very few exceptions over the, over the years. There may be some, you know, exceptions, but, but very few exceptions if you just average over a long period yeah. of time. And, you know, that's a, let's say it's five, just use a round number, that's $25,000 return in one year. Hmm. On fifty thousand dollar investment. Yeah. Now you have to pay interest expense and yeah. all that to offset yeah. that, but that's tax deductible. Remember, mm-hmm. and so it's an enormously favorable investment. Mm-hmm. And so mortgages give you access to that. Yeah. And you know, I started out when we, you know, when, when mom and I started out with his mom, my <laughs> wife. Uh, when we started out, looking to buy, um, you know, looking to buy a house. I mean, our 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 idea was. No debt. Let's 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 buy it. And this was, you know, mind you, when houses were seventy-seven thousand yeah. dollars. Our first house we bought was seventy-seven thousand dollars. But even then, it was way beyond our means yeah. to save that much money. Yeah. And and every year we would have 
waited on that would have been prices would have accelerated and and you just yeah so uh, so it, it's it's a way to, to to invest it's a levered investment it's secured by an asset and it's a non-depreciating asset. You know, it's like when you when you finance a car and i'm yeah i i'm not you know I, cars are kind of in the middle credit cards to me credit cards are are like the worst type of debt yeah and you should be you know, really, really did. You know, normally, if you're just building up, a lot of times when you're building up credit card debt, it's, it's because you're you're living beyond your means. Right. You know, and 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 I don't want to make that as a universal judgment. There's all kinds of reasons for people, but a lot of times people are just spending more right. than they're able to pay for every month, and they're they're then they're buying consumables, yeah. vacations, TVs, clothing, yeah. whatever. You know, they're buying these consumables that don't last. And they're not paying for them. They're going to pay for them at a later date. Yeah. And there's no, yeah, and, and so that's very bad debt. But this is the secured by the land. So that's the other thing about mortgage. Yes, it's a risk. Values can go down, but it's not something like like a car. You know, if you if you finance a car, if you finance over too long of a period of time, that is a depreciating asset. Right. That car is not going to last forever. Yeah. You know, and it's it's going to become unreliable at some point. And so you want to. If you're going to finance a car, you're going to want to pay that off for a really relatively short period of time. But but a but a mortgage, you're you know it's you're you're on a piece of dirt, you're on land. It is going to last forever yeah. in a sense. You know yeah. it's it's going to be around for a very long time. It's not and and typically it's an appreciating asset, and it increases your um, net worth. The other thing about mortgage debt is is you are it's not like you are consuming something that you otherwise couldn't afford. It's you're 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 paying an unavoidable cost in a mortgage. You're you're going to pay someone for housing. You have to live somewhere, right. and yeah, you're going yeah, to yeah. pay someone for housing. Yeah. And so, are you going to pay a landlord? Yeah. For housing, so so it's not like you mortgage. You're saying, hey, it would be nice to have a mortgage. I'm going to go. You know, it'd be nice to have a house. Yeah. And and it's and it's an expense that you otherwise aren't paying. No, you're paying something. You're paying rent. You're paying. Mm-hmm. You know, and especially as you get older and you have a family, that, that cost grows, you know. And, and so the other thing about a mortgage is you're fixing that cost in. Right. Yeah, now your real estate taxes And you can grow. quantify, like, the, not just the monthly payment of mortgage versus rent, but I guess you could call it the monthly cost because, uh, you know, if you take out what you're keeping in the house, what you're putting into the house from your mortgage payment, and then compare what's left of just the cost side of, of your payment. You mean the principal portion of your payment? Yeah, if you yeah. take out the principal. Yeah, then, no, that's a good point. And then you're just comparing, um, you know, your, your rent monthly payment versus then yeah. everything besides principal. Then besides just the fact that you have to do one or the other, when you look at it like that, the, the cost of both is... I don't, I don't know what if you've compared like yeah. the average yeah, no, that's livable a, that's, situation. No, that's a great, but. that's a great, that's a great point, and 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 it's very relevant you know, to this conversation. And certainly, from a cash flow basis, sometimes the, the yeah. you know the outflow that is higher. You have to be able yeah. to to afford it. But you're absolutely right in 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 making sure that you understand that you know, if you're paying two thousand dollars a month on a mortgage payment, there's a portion of that that's principal mm-hmm. that, that you're just paying back. That you will get you're paying back. that down. Yeah. So you're getting that every month and that's not a cost to you. You're just paying that back. And so and then if you factor in on top of that the tax benefit, mm. right? Because yeah. rent is not sure. tax deductible. Mm. Um, and so then if you factor in the tax benefit of that, then yeah. you really are getting to the point where from an actual cost standpoint, mm-hmm. 
know, you you may be very close, you may be even better right. with the mortgage. Yeah. Um, then with with you know with the rent and and with the rent, you're you're not gaining any equity. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's just something. So, so I yeah. So there's a lot of lot of upside. Yeah. What is the possible risk? What like how are you know if if for whatever reason I had default. Yeah. Um, or you know what uh, what other risks are involved? Can the bank just randomly call in my loan if they want to? Because for me, you know, for 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 average consumer, you you just kind of trust the mortgage, and you know you don't you probably don't ask too many questions. Um, yeah, it's okay. okay. Yeah, um, you probably don't ask too many questions, and so you probably don't know. You know, if they got in a fix, if the bank's bank got in a fix, could they call in your loan? What What are all the risks? Yeah. So, and so just to answer your direct question, you your your mortgage, your loan, you have a promissory note. That's the loan, and then the mortgage is the security instrument. It's secured. Your loan, your agreement to repay the the company, uh, you know, the the lender over a 30-year period, and it stipulates what the monthly payment, and then secured by a deed of trust. And that deed of trust is 16 pages of, of your responsibilities, things that you must do, things that you can't do, um, as long as that property is securing that debt mm -hmm. until that debt is extinguished. And that's, you know, there, there's, there's some, you know, you can't store large amounts of hazardous waste materials, and you, know, you, you can't tear down the property you can you know so there, there are responsibilities you have and, and including those responsibilities are are there there's acceleration clauses in the mortgage that says that if you do any of these things then it becomes immediately payable you know that loan is no longer but as long as you and and, and the, the most common thing is you stop making your payments yeah right you stop making your payments and they can call the loan and then they can foreclose on it if you don't mm -hmm satisfied the yeah. debt yeah and, and that's a longish process I yeah. mean you know, there, there are a lot of protections built into our laws that give people a, a fairly long period of time before they miss that first payment and when the bank could actually go for auction and sell your property um, but that is possible and there are other things you know, that that if you you know became a meth house or you know I mean there's if, if you started doing things and they somehow caught wind of it it's very rare that they would even call catch wind of something for making mortgage payments. Yeah. As long as you're making your mortgage payments, it's very unlikely that they're going to know anything more about you other than the fact that you, your mortgage payments are made on yeah. time. Um, but yes, those things. And then, you know, and, and then the real, you know, so, so the risk are, you know, that's, that's one, you know, the risk of default or associated, well, I'll lose my job. And, mm -hmm. and then that's tied to how much you put down. And I, you know, I'm, I, you know, I, I encourage people to buy real estate. I think it's a great investment. I do generally want people to, to believe that they're going to be in that house for about five years. Mm -hmm. And it's not a hard rule, but I, I think that to me that feels reasonable in terms of, yeah, I feel like I'm going to be in here for five years. That gives you time to get some appreciation. So even if you put a lower amount down, if you have reasonable appreciation over that five-year period of time, then when you go to sell, you know, there, there are high selling costs associated with real estate. Yeah. You know, when you sell you know, a share of stock, the, the selling costs aren't that great. When you when you sell a house, it's, you know it's it's not ten percent. I use ten percent mm -hmm. conservatively, um, but it can be anywhere from seven to ten percent if you use a you know a real estate agent to sell your house, which I think most people should do. I think you, you get your money's worth. But 
you know, that's seven to ten percent. Let's say, being really conservative, that's ten percent selling cost. And so, if you only put three percent down to begin with, and then a year into it, you you, know, you lose your job, you can't make your payments, you want to sell the house, you may not have enough, enough equity mm. to cover um, what is needed to sell the house, pay the selling costs, pay off the mortgage in full. You know, so those those are the types of risk that you run into um, when you when you buy a house, and so that's you know that's the situation where it, you know, that that could cause some pain. Yeah. Um, and yeah. how does the process work of the debt being held and sold? Uh, what what uh, is the secondary mortgage market? How does yeah. that work? So the the vast majority, I think, the last stat I saw was like seventy percent. 70% of, of mortgages in the United States are owned by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Hmm. And Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were created kind of a part, well, so Fannie Mae was created part of the, you know, kind of the New Deal. Um, FHA was created just three years or four years before that. Also part of kind of the post-depression era when they were saying, hey, we've got all these people and we're coming out of the depression and they have no way to get houses. And they created, you know, FHA to kind of low down payment and and just more liberal underwriting policies. And then Fannie Mae was created in, in thirty eight, I think nineteen thirty eight, similar type of premise, except this was going to be a private enterprise. And 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 the way that that this private enterprise is a private company, um, not owned by the government, not explicitly, you know, these loans aren't backed by the government. Mm-hmm. With FHA, the government said, look. Lenders, you can lend to these higher risk borrowers with lower down payment. You know they don't even necessarily have to be higher risk borrower in terms of their credit history, yeah. although FHA allows that too. But higher risk, just in terms of hey, we're putting less down, yeah. so higher risk loans. Yeah. And and we will guarantee that if you lose money on that, we'll guarantee a percent, you know, mm-hmm. a portion of that that first level of, of loss. So so your loss is only you know, in the event that that the market goes way down mm-hmm. and you can't recover. Um, Whereas the, when Fannie was created, they said, look, we're not going to guarantee, but we're going to take these private, this private company, Fannie Mae, and we'll be your guarantor of any money you borrow. So they borrow money on, on, the, on, the, second, on, on the open market. They, they issue bonds, and people invest in bonds all the time. People invest in bonds, in, you know, the, the, the big companies issue bonds mm-hmm. to borrow money. Yeah. And people buy those bonds because they think that company is a good risk, but that company is a risk. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're if you're backed by the federal government, the federal government's never defaulted on the debt. Now that could happen a week from now. Yeah. Right? We have this big political debate yeah. going on about the debt ceiling and all that. Uh, we've been here before, but the federal government's never defaulted on a debt, so the risk is extremely low. And mm-hmm. therefore, Fannie and Freddie are able to go. Fannie Mae at the time was able to go out and borrow. Um, more inexpensively at lower interest rates so then they could turn around and lend to us. And so when they're getting this effectively government-subsidized cost of money, most people were saying, look, I want to get in your box because it's cheaper. Mm-hmm. FHA was more expensive. Mm-hmm. It's always been more expensive. Yeah. Well, historically, it's been more expensive. But they said, look, we can we can borrow less expensively and our money's cheaper. You and just so have to meet if you fit in my box, I set a guideline, yeah. then you can have a Fannie Mae loan. And so, um, so, sure, yeah, secondary market. So they go out yeah, and so they you, borrow money. We, we broker to UWM. Yeah. So we take our customers' loans and UWM owns them. Well, technically, no. UWM, so UWM and then the uh, 10 other wholesalers that we have relationships with, they all operate the same way. Basically, 
they go and they will, they have a, a massive line of credit and what they okay. call a warehouse line of credit. They have a massive amount of capital, yeah. but it's not enough capital to just do the amount of volume they do mm. every year. They're turning that over, over and over and over again mm. every month. And so they will originate a loan and then they will sell it to Fannie Mae. They don't hold anything. Right. Now they will hold servicing and that's why people think, well, I'm, yeah, nobody makes a payment to Fannie Mae. Mm. Nobody makes a payment to Freddie Mac. Mm. They don't service anything. Mm. They, they go out to different lenders and say, look, you're good at servicing. And so they, you know, so United Wholesale Mortgage, UWM, or any of the other lenders we work with, they will transfer this over, and then sometimes they'll retain servicing. Mm. And so Fannie owns the loan, but UWM is who you get your statement from every month, and and they're who you interact with. And and the vast majority of people have no sort of awareness of the, they'll get it. They'll get a notice in the mail. Yeah. You know, a couple of months later, saying your loan's been transferred to Fannie Mae. Yeah. yeah. And and some people scratch their heads. Some people call me and say, "What's yeah. you know what's up yeah. with this?" But but all that all they're saying is, "Look, your your loan is owned by Fannie Mae now." But we're still but, servicing. But UWM is still servicing it. So all your statements come from them. All your payments go to them. Everything, every practical aspect of that loan and you is going to be through UWM. Okay. But it gets that secondary market. That loan's been transferred over to Fannie and Freddie, and. Fannie, that the, technically the secondary market, that's that's where they buy that. And then they will go out and borrow money. So I told you before that the, these, the money that Fannie and Freddie borrow is backed by the federal government, but it's also backed by pools of these mortgages. Hmm. And so Fannie and Freddie will go out and borrow and they create these securities called mortgage-backed securities. And so that they go out and buy, they're not just borrowing um, on the sheer promise to repay, even though it's backed by the federal government. They're borrowing also backed by this pool of mortgages. Say, we own this collection of mortgages where people owe us money. Yeah. And we're collecting on that every month. And if we default on these monies that we're borrowing from you, these securities will make that good. Hmm. And so that's yeah, probably a pretty stumbling, mumbling way through the secondary market. But Yeah, no, it's... <coughs> yeah. Well, simple. Yeah. Um, great. Well... Yeah, I mean, there's a lot there, probably more than a lot of people are interested in. But, yeah, it's just kind of a vague concept, even you know, working in it for a year to yeah. me. Um, so it's helpful to, you know, you know it's a debt, but don't don't know all the intricacies of where the risk lies and, and where it goes and who owns right. it. And, um, so it's all super helpful. Anything you had to conclude? Or? Yeah, maybe the only thing I'd add, this is... You know, pretty ancillary to the whole conversation, but Freddie Mac was brought into the equation many years later, like 1974, basically to provide competition for Fannie Mae. Mm. You know, so the government created this, you know, the, this, you know, this company, and and it's privately owned, and people are being privately enriched by it, which is great. Love capitalism. I think it's wonderful. But when you have a government deciding who wins, and it's like, like we're going to favor you. That becomes a government-created monopoly, and 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 the government decided at one point it's like, hey, it's probably not a great idea to just have one company that gets all the mortgage business, and right. we're the ones that are creating that benefit to them. So let's create another entity to compete with them. And the private entities, Fred, Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, the private entities there are the ones who decide what their boxes are and make that business decisions in there. Yeah, yeah. it's not like a government decision. 
Yeah, I mean, they're so heavily regulated that yeah. it becomes hard to mm-hmm. really differentiate sometimes in terms of getting to that level of yeah. that. Um, they're so, you know, insanely regulated that, you know. But, so but they yes. both face the same regulations, though. seems like there's not a ton of competition. There, there's not a, Well, there's, there, there's competition in nuance in terms yeah. of, you know, just, you know, what... What sort of nuance you know they will have? Some yeah. you know, like Fannie Mae will require two months bank statements. Fannie Mac will require one month bank statement. Sometimes Fannie Mae will give you an appraisal waiver, and Freddie Mac won't give you a appraisal. You know, yeah. So, so there's yeah. there is little nuance. There's difference yeah. in underwriting philosophies, and um, but you're right. The, you know, there's there's probably a ninety percent overlap. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of guidelines, regulate. You know, so so yeah yeah from, yeah yeah. It really is hard to. It, it's hard not to see it as just one big really colluding problem. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Activity between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Awesome. Well, um, thanks, Dan. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to Work is Good. If you enjoyed it, share it with someone else, leave a review, and listen next week.